is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you we made it to the top of the mountain. Welcome in. We are live here on this Wednesday. Appreciate you guys choosing A to Z as part of your daily sports listen. Give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zeno. Of course, follow our entire network at Locked On ATL. Check out all the great shows we got here on this platform. We've got a ton to do today, uh, including a film critique. By the end of the show, you'll see what I'm talking about. It is sports related. We'll get to that coming up here today. But we have to start, of course, with the Atlanta Braves, who can you smell the air up top? Yes. Ten and a half game lead completely gone. The New York Mets lose to the Pirates last night. The Braves defeat the Oakland A's and they are tied for first place in the National League East at 85 and 51. Boy, does it feel good. Um, I got to tell you, man, you know, it's so important to get to this point. You know, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now after that big series with the Mets about the opportunity that the Braves would have to get into this spot. And it might not come until they face the Mets again because of how soft the Mets schedule was coming up. Well, that's what happens when you lose two to the Nationals and one of the Pirates. Um, the Mets are not playing good baseball right now. There was, we talked about the the regression sometimes, how the Mets had some regression while the Braves went on the 14-game run. Uh, and I told you how the Mets were going to have another bump, and it did. It got back up to six games, and now it's back down because the Braves are playing amazing baseball. They've won six in a row now, and I think eight of ten or nine of ten. Um, they, they have just been lights out unreal. Vaughn Grissom has another four-hit night. Uh, you're still dealing with the the issue of what to do with this kid when Ozzie Albies gets back and what the lineup is going to look like. but. You know, this is a spot right now that you've wanted to be in for months. And for all those people, and I just have to take this moment to say this, for all those people, the idiots who were screaming after a month of the season, you know, oh, trade Spencer Strider and Adam Duvall. Yeah, you know, those those people in town, those fans out there who, whoa, man, I, I, this is an awful season. It's an awful start, blah, 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 blah. I mean – you know, just unreal. Unreal. This is why you don't panic during a baseball season, because it's long and because it's hard to get through, because uh, you have to do it for six consecutive months and do it really well in order to be a playoff team. Uh, and that's why when the Mets were very good at the beginning of the year, I kept telling people, relax. They're not going to be this good all year long. It's really hard to play 700 baseball all for all for that long of a period. Look at the Yankees. They played 700 baseball for the first three months. Where are they now? Not even going to win 100 games. Hell, they might not win 95 the way they're playing. So there is so much here um, that the Braves and, and their organization, the fans, should be proud of. Uh, there's no reason not to feel good about it. They spend, send Spencer Strider to the Hill today in an afternoon matinee game. This is what you worked for. This is why you stayed patient. This is why you don't make drastic moves in the first two months of the season. Now, again, you could look at other teams like the Phillies. They fired their manager in the first two months of the season. Look what happened. They started to turn things around. There you go. Sometimes it happens, yeah, but not always. 
Not always. So, and, and in reality, again, the Mets haven't been bad over the course of the last two months. Braves have just been insanely good. For context, okay, in the last three months, the Braves have gone. Get ready for this, guys, because the number is just way out there. They've gone 62 and 24. 62 and 24 since May 31st. For some context of how good that is, the Yankees started this season out 61 and 25. And again, that was when they were playing 700 baseball. The Yankees were 70 and 34. They were 36 games above 500. That's what 61 and 25 is actually 36 games above 500. The Braves are. 36 games above 500 right now. Yeah. That's unreal. That is an unreal pace. So tip your cap to them. Uh, let's get, keep it going. Let's see what happens here as they turn over uh, the the final part of uh, th this month here and, and hopefully stay hot heading into the playoffs. But Spencer Strada going tonight, he'll probably have another 700 strikeouts, and uh, I'll be happy and be chirping at some of the Atlanta radio hosts in this town for ever doubting my boy Spencer Strider. All right, we got one other piece of news to get to here, Atlanta-related. Uh, we'll do that in a second. First, a word from our friends at Built Bar. Guys, are you ready to try the new delicious flavor that is in puffs? Ah, yes. It is chocolate cookie dough. It is delicious cookie dough chunk puffs. have a light and chewy texture. They're real cookie dough chunks in there, and, of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Guys, I've had these bars. I mean, they are outstanding. They are the perfect snack. For when you want something sweet, when you're feeding something sweet, but you don't want to go over the top and have something incredibly unhealthy like regular cookies or chocolate cake or whatever it is, grab one of these cookie dough chunk puffs bars. They are perfect. They're only 160 calories, 15 grams of protein. It's collagen protein, which your body digests and absorbs more efficiently, provides tons of health benefits. And of course, guys, they taste great. The perfect snack, I'm telling you. Get to Built.com right now and order your favorite box of your built bars that's the cookie dough chunk built bars and make sure you use the promo code locked on 15 to get 15 percent off your first order again use promo code locked on 15 at built.com all right uh the atlanta falcons released their their depth chart their first official depth chart for week one and the big news was obviously is that drew dahlman is now the starting center over matt hennessy i, I guess that's big news I don't know that there's a, a difference between the two of them. I mean, everything feels pretty negligible at this point with everybody. If you're not Kyle Pitts and you're not Grady Jarrett, and hopefully you're not Drake London, who, oh, by the way, was listed as a number one wide receiver, which means he's likely to play, uh, that knee injury won't bother him. I, I'm not sure that there's any real, you know, any real depth. There's only AJ Terrell out, of course, him too. Um, if there's any real difference and who's playing where. That, to me, um, is something we'll find out on the field. And that's the only way to find it out. How is Drew Dahlman going to deal with, you know, the Saints pass rush? I don't know. Neither do you. Neither does anybody else. He won the starting job. Does that mean he's going to be a starter for all 17 games? Who knows? Let's hope so. I mean, things are better when, you're, when your offensive line is static and uh, the same guys are going out there each week. That certainly helps things out. And the Falcons are going to practice at Mercedes-Benz Stadium today, so we'll hear from Arthur Smith on the decision a little bit more because we didn't get a chance to hear from him before posting the thing because the Falcons were not uh, practicing yesterday. So, uh, and, and again, 
practicing at Mercedes-Benz Stadium today is part of this mentality that Arthur Smith has about preparing this team for the season. The preparation was completely different. Uh, and I think that speaks volumes to where he wants this team to be. I think it speaks volumes to about um, mentally where he wants this team to go and uh, how he wants them to approach the beginning of this season. Much better than what they did last season. So you can go online, check out the depth chart. No other real surprises. Uh, Arnold Ebicady is listed second on the depth chart between uh, Adio Gandeji. Uh, I'm curious to see how much we're going to see Ebicady whether he's a situational pass rusher, how much he's in there on early first and second down rundown situations. I think he'll start out as situationally, um, you know, a pass rusher in certain spots. Let's see. But I'll be watching week one, the snap count for AK 47 there, uh, or AK as they call him. And he wears number 47. I don't know if we're allowed to use gun references anymore, but regardless, uh, I'll be watching for where 47 is on the field. I think you should too. All right, coming up next. Um, are we overvaluing one team way too early in the college football season and things they forgot about before they decided to expand the playoff? That's coming up next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Check out all the shows here on the network. I'll tell you about them every day. Why? Because they're all amazing. And you guys are amazing for supporting Locked on Sports Atlanta, almost 3,000 subscribers on YouTube already in just a few months. Uh, it's amazing to, to, that you guys have been behind us this much, and it certainly uh, means that we're doing good content every day and we're putting out good shows, and we certainly want you to check them all out. This is A to Z. I've hit and hard with John Chuckery, ATL Day 1's Jarvis Davis, and Tanitra Batiste. Of course, the Braves postcast for the first-place Braves. Put that in there, first-place Braves. Uh, and Locked on, Locked on Falcons and Locked on Hawks, of course, uh, throughout the, uh, the football and basketball season so check everything out again at locked on atl on twitter okay um college football rankings came out for uh week two in college football and no major surprises i i mean let me rephrase that there were a couple of major surprises however uh at the top you know i, I think that georgia moving ahead of ohio state was fair based off of how much ohio state seemed to offensively struggle with Notre Dame. Uh, who fell to number eight, by the way. Michigan bumps up four spots after their pasting and what their offense looked like as well. Clemson fell down to five. That's fair. A&M stayed where they are. Oklahoma at seven. Notre Dame at eight, as I just mentioned. Baylor at nine. They move up a spot in USC. Moves all the way into the top ten. Uh, and what was more surprising to me was there were two teams that were not ranked um, in the original top 25 who have bumped in. Tennessee comes in at number 24. They weren't ranked, which I thought is fair. Again, Tennessee, I think, is going to be a good team. I think they'll finish in the top 25 this year when it's all said and done. And Florida moved into not 23, not 20, not 20. Where the hell are they? Oh, they're at 12. Dear Lord. From unranked to 12th? Uh, did we seem to skip a couple of steps here? I, I mean, I, I get it. They played Utah. I, I get it. Utah was a team that was you know, in the top 10, uh, and they beat them, but barely, and they almost shouldn't have beat them. In fact, I don't even want to get into it, obviously, because I bet on Utah, but, you know, missed DPI call in the uh, final play of the game. Uh, nonetheless, that ball would have been picked if there wasn't defensive pass interference, but still, uh, it was not a game to me that warranted Florida jumping all the way up to 12. And could it be possibly that we're overvaluing Florida just a little bit? Uh, maybe. 
We're going to find out. And again, full disclosure, telling you this week, I'm going to fade Florida again one more time for a very small play. I'm taking Kentucky plus the five points. This is actually a legitimate defense. And Utah's defense was supposed to be better. They didn't play that well. Uh, they gave up big chunks of yards. And all due respect to Anthony Richardson, I, I said coming into the season, I didn't think he was the guy. But he played really well in week one uh, against a very competent Utah team, competent defensively. Kentucky's defense may be more of a little bit of a different animal, especially being in the SEC and especially being that they're probably the third or fourth best defense in the entire conference. Yeah, that's how good Kentucky's defense was. At least statistically last year, that's where they were. I expect to be the same. Um, and Kentucky may have some problems right now because, uh, you know, they, they have not – Mark Stoops suspended running back Chris Rodriguez indefinitely. I don't know if he's come back this week. We'll find out. He didn't play, obviously, in the opener. But that's a big part of it. If they can run the ball, they're really going to be able to, um, you know, have a, have a control of the game that, you know, may affect Florida. But I say all this again. I'm getting too much into the game itself. Is it possible we're overvaluing Florida? Yes, I think it's very possible. We're going to find out this week. Now, the game is, again, down in the swamp, and it's and Kentucky typically hasn't fared well there. But if Florida goes out and gets another, let's just call it win, it doesn't necessarily have to be convincing, then I think that the ranking may be justified. And, again, we'll find out in two more weeks when they face Tennessee. So, And I think they go to Rocky Top. I'll double-check the schedule. But regardless – uh, we're going to find out about Florida. That that may have been a, a slight overranking, uh, at least in my opinion, to say the least. All right, what did they miss with the college football playoff? Tell you that in a second. First, a word from our friends at Coffee AM. How do you start your morning? How do I start mine? I start mine with Coffee AM. Why? Because it's delicious. It's fresh. The flavors are amazing, and they come from all over the world. That's why Coffee AM is the best small batch coffee roaster in America. And it's right here in our backyard in Georgia. Their coffees are fresh because they're roasted and shipped on the same day or very close to it. That means you're going to get amazing flavors. When the box comes to your house, you open it up, the smell of that coffee is going to be off the charts memorable. The coffees from around the world, Sumatra, Kenya, the rainforest, Costa Rica, Colombia, where I mean, just, it's unreal where they get all these flavors from. That's why you have to go to coffeeam.com backslash locked on and check out the full menu of coffees, teas, and gift sets. You go to coffeeam.com backslash locked on. Make sure you use the promo code locked on at checkout to get 15% off your first order of coffees, teas, and gift sets. If you love coffee, go to coffeeam.com. If you don't love coffee, send somebody else there because they're going to love you for it. All right. What do we miss in the college football playoff here expansion? Uh, Nicole Auerbach of uh, The Athletic, one of the best at covering college football, uh, brought up some very lucid points that I just wanted to highlight on because I think. Um, it is incredibly important to understand where college football is going with this whole expansion deal. And one thing she didn't bring up, which is the one thing that I brought up, which I'm kind of surprised because I, I don't know why more people aren't harping on this unless somebody smarter than me can explain to me uh, why they're not. That said, uh, they still have not decided what realignment is going to look like. If you're going to hand out automatic bids, you got to have some semblance of static conferences and who the bids are going to you, you just have to um th there there is no reason to hand out an automatic bid to the sec when they are going to get five or six teams in this thing regardless th there's an automatic bid for the top four teams right every year you can make that argument if there are going to be three or four teams 
in the top 12 in the top 25 when it's all said and done and let me just go back to last year real quick and see where they finished um because I, I, the final rankings Georgia Alabama uh Ole Miss finished at 11 and that was three nobody I'm trying to see if anybody else was really close Kentucky finished at 18. Um, they were trending in a good direction. Nobody else from the SEC was really trending upward at that point in time. Okay, so, but again, regardless, same thing. Okay, so you had Michigan, Ohio State, uh, and Michigan State in the top 10 as well. I mean, those are like automatic bids for that conference. So what's the point in handing out automatic bids when the top three teams get it from two of the major conferences? That's half your playoff pool right there. I think you need to fix it. But Nicole Arbach talks about uh, the revenue split. How is it going to split? The whole point of doing this college football playoff expansion is for more money. $2 billion in annual revenue from media rights payouts. $2 billion. How are they going to split that? Does it go back to conferences? Does it go to individual schools? Does it based on, Is it based off of how far they go in the college football playoff? Do the teams that make it to the finals get more money than the teams that just get bumped out in the first round? Um, what's the revenue split between Power 5 teams and Group of 5? What about Notre Dame? What do they get for being independent? I mean, and 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 Auerbach even says that data from both the college football playoff and BCS era suggests that the SEC and Big Ten will dominate the 12-team playoff field once it expands. Should those two conferences get more money than everybody else? That is a fair question to ask. That's really what it boils down to. Um, the viability of expanding for 2024 or 2025. The big problem is, again, what does the schedule look like? They haven't determined the calendar, and I think this is an excellent point. Are the first-round games played before the Christmas Bakes, or what do you have? First weekend of December, Conference Championship weekend. Second weekend, Army-Navy. Is that third weekend going to be um, a situation where you're playing three games? Because in a 12-team playoff, one and two, one and two seeds are going to get a bye, so actually it would only be two games. Right? Because you're going to have to. You're going you're gonna to have to have the one and two seeds get a bye uh, into the semifinals. And then you have two other games going on and each winner goes on. So you have two games there and that's what the first two rounds would look like. I mean, who knows? They have to figure out the calendar because it's a big part of it. There's a lot of these college presidents on this board here who like the December break before they have to play in any bowl games, i.e., you know, we're not playing before New Year's Eve slash New Year's Day or post-New Year's Day. And, of course, you know, finals. I have to air quote the word finals. We have to have finals in there because, you know, students have to take finals. So these are just some of the challenges, again, in the college football playoff and, and what it's going to look like as an expanded field. And uh, I, I think the money is the biggest thing. They have to decide that first. They'll work out the schedule and the TV contracts later. But what does it look like? And do group of five teams even deserve any money? That's another bigger question. No, I don't think they do, but I'm biased. Yes, I'm the white guy who likes the rich people getting richer. Hate me for it. No, it's, it has nothing to do with that. It's just simply about who butters the bread here. Who, who makes all the money for college football? It's the power five. Okay, coming up next, uh, an interesting sports movie review. I'm late to the party on this one. But I wanted to express some feelings on it because I finished watching it last night. Plus, some shovels of wisdom next right here on E to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Search Locked On Sports Atlanta. 
Welcome back. Final segment here of A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Again, give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. I'm at Mark Zeno, M A R K Z I N N O. Before we get to a very detailed movie review, time to hand out Shovel of Wisdom. Brace yourselves because it's time for the Shovel of Wisdom. You know how we do it every day. We have to set somebody straight for saying and doing something stupid. We do it right here on A to Z. You can do it on my Twitter account as well. Just use the hashtag shovel of wisdom. And today my shovel goes to the Chicago Bears. Why the Chicago Bears? But I was not aware of this. I knew the Bears were searching for a new stadium. I knew they wanted to get out of Soldier Field. I knew that they they had I, I had seen just you know the headlines and everything that they were looking to do it. And um I get it. Look, nobody should be in an outdated building anymore. I've said for years, like Wrigley Field and Fenway Park need to be torn down and rebuilt. They're old. They're disgusting. Um, you, you can't keep putting lipstick on a pig. Nostalgia, my you-know-what. Uh, if you can build re- rebuild Yankee Stadium, you can rebuild anything. Uh, that's just my opinion on the whole thing. So all these old, dilapidated buildings, uh, you know, either need a major, major facelift. Uh, but if you're going to spend, you know, half a billion dollars for a facelift, just spend the full billion and get a brand new building. That's just the way I look at it. Like investment wise, it makes more sense. But nonetheless, I knew the bears were going to be looking for a new stadium. I know they're going to be building one. I remember seeing that the headlines that there was some contention about how they were going to pay for it. And they were going to move to this place called Arlington park uh, and Arlington Heights. I don't even know where that is in Chicago, but I saw today that they want to build a 326 acre development property, just similar to what we have in the battery here in Atlanta. Um, something like that, you know, mixed-use development, uh, entertainment district, bars, restaurants, shops, everything. Yeah. They want to build a dome, though. They're going to put it in a dome. Like, the Bears playing in a dome? The ice bowl? The fog bowl? Like, it, you know, it's the Bears. Don't they have to play outdoors? Shouldn't they be playing outdoors? I feel like I'll, I'll get over it, okay? You know, and I say, just said a moment ago, nostalgia be damned. Nostalgia be damned. I get it. But there's two things here. One, again, the Bears, at least, you know, we always talk so much about team identity on this thing. Part of their identity was always their defense and being tough, right? The Bears are always a tough team, at least when they were good. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard to be tough in 72-degree perfect weather with no wind. You know, part of the Bears' toughness was the weather. Like, that was part of who they are. Uh, and I get it. You want to be able to host a Super Bowl, a college football playoff, and a Final Four, and you can do all those things in an indoor dome stadium because it's like, you know, eight degrees in Chicago when all those things are played. I get it. There's also like four feet of snow on the ground. I get it. But, you know, I don't mind them leaving Soldier Field. Like, I, I just, it's weird to me. I think it should be weird to everybody. And the other thing, too, is that there is now this kind of seismic shift in the NFL to put more teams in domes than anything else. Um, and that weather element of the game that you're taking away because the only open-air stadiums now are going to be warm. Look, Minnesota went to a dome. Minnesota always wasn't a dome. Um, but Chicago has one. I mean, the only outdoor stadiums that are bad now still bad areas, Patriots, Jets, Giants, uh, Seattle. You know, I mean, you're not really looking at many other – Cleveland, I guess, is another one. Pittsburgh is still open, but anyway, I'm getting hung up on it. I don't know why. 
But regardless, I just it was something to me that I, struck me as like, man, the Bears are going to play in a dome. Huh. Never would have thought it. Okay. Uh, last night, I finished the Manti Teo documentary on Netflix. Untold, I think it was, and, and the girl who didn't exist or whatever it was called. And, um, you know, and I, and I tweeted out last night my thoughts on the end of it. Like, it was, to me, a very telling second episode. Uh, as the whole thing unfolds on Manti Teo, that he got duped and everything else. And here's the thing, folks. Two things can be true. Manti Teo can be a little bit naive. That doesn't make him a bad person. That doesn't make him stupid. It doesn't make him uh, the, the bad guy or falling for somebody who had nothing but malice intentions from the start. Renaya or whatever his, his or her name is now. I'm sorry. Forgive me for not understanding that proper pronoun terminology thing, but whatever. Um, when I went into it with nothing but ill intentions, with nothing but malice, and he went out to fool somebody and he did it, and that is not Manti's fault. Should Manti have checked and double-checked and been a little bit more aware? Sure. But, you know, it's, it's fair to say um, that my perception of Manti Teo was somebody who was a little bit shy, a little bit out of his element, and found some solace in a name, or I shouldn't say names, a faceless individual who he could connect with easily and allow himself to be opened up to other places and other things around that campus that he wasn't able and willing to do. Uh, and, and I think that's fair. And in this era of, you know, mental health is everything and, you know, kind of deal, that was his mental health outlet, was his alleged girlfriend. It was not his girlfriend. So I still have more anger about Renaya and what he now she did, uh, what his intentions were from the start. That bothers me more than anything. I think Manti is a good dude. I think, yes, he got duped. Um, he had someone who was a very bad person do something very awful to him. And unfortunately for Manti Teo, it ruined his football career. That's the only thing you can hold Manti accountable for is letting it ruin his career. I think that is, you know, athletes can compartmentalize and they can, you know, and I'm not saying he's not tough or anything like that, but clearly he shows you how mentally it tore him apart. And, and it wasn't that he got his heart broken or anything like that. It was that he got duped and that he was made a fool of and the embarrassment of that nationally uh, is what tore him apart inside. And that was the other takeaway, man. We are a mean freaking society. <laughs> we are, we are, we are, the stuff like this brings out the worst in America. It does because every news outlet, and, and they played dozens of clips, every news outlet, every anchor, every talk show host, everybody took shots at the kid, myself included, when it had happened. You know, and, and we all owe him an apology. I owe him an apology. Matt Titeo, I apologize. I was mean, I was, I was wrong, and uh, I should have been a better person in that moment. It was easy for me to take shots at you, not knowing you and understanding who you are. Now that I do, uh, at least understand a little bit better, uh, this wasn't your fault, man. It, it wasn't. When you have somebody with, with those level of detailed intentions to go out and do this, man, 
and and Renata could have stopped it at any point and chose not to. That is intent. That is malice. That is that is just pure evil. That's what it is, man. I mean, I don't need to sugarcoat it. He was doing something he knew was wrong, who knew would hurt somebody, uh, and and one hundred percent was going to affect him, and never did anything to stop it. Yeah. I mean, that's what it boils down to for me. So I know there are people and people disagreed with me. Oh, Manti was in on it. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Why would the guy be in on something that ruined his career? Makes no sense. The guy was way too fragile emotionally to be in on any of this. It's just obvious. All he wanted to do was fit in somewhere and find some comfort emotionally, which he never found at Notre Dame. And you could go back to and at least say that, you know, if he had played at USC, would things have gone down different? I think so. They would have. But still, this is a scenario where, um, you know, if he doesn't go down this path and doesn't have this individual willfully try to hurt him, I think we have a different ending to Manti Teo. Uh, and I hope he's found peace. I really do. I genuinely, genuinely hope he's found peace in his heart. He deserves it. He does. He got dealt a really bad hand, and it played poorly and blew up in his face. So, thought the documentary was good. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Hope I didn't give too much away for you. Uh, I'm sure you know how it ends, regardless. All right, that'll do it for us here on A to Z on this Wednesday. Back tomorrow. You guys have a wonderful day. Don't take any crap from anybody.